yeah, the, the level of detail that goes into the technical guide, which teams receive, like these sorts of things might sound, you know, really basic and they're the things that happen really behind the scenes, but it allows the teams to really plan and prepare and like send the, the best possible team to a particular races. So this is something that they did really well and the media coverage um, and the community involvement at the start and finish towns and basically where the course passed, these sorts of things really set the standard, I would say. G'day Legends, so welcome back to the Pro Student Podcast presented by Zwift, episode 77, and it's so good to have you back. Thanks to everyone who sent in a message, gave us some feedback, liked our Instagram post for last week's episode of Andre Greipel. What a legend. And if you haven't listened to that already, or maybe you know someone who would be interested in learning about one of the world's best sprinters, well, make sure you share the episode with them and go back and download it. But today, we're chatting with Beth Daria from Canyon Shram. Now, this is an absolutely cracking episode and oh so relevant. Beth right now, well, she's on the ground in France uh, as the director sportif of Canyon Shram. She's with the team. She's obviously doing all the bits and pieces. And I caught up with her last week to discuss everything Canyon Shram. Now, of course, we talk about the Tour de France. Um, in the back end of the podcast. We talk about Cachinia Doma and her chances for the podium this year. Is it a target or is she going to try and go for stages? And that would mean relinquishing maybe her focus on that podium battle. We also talk about the rise of um, women's cycling in the last five to seven years and, and Beth's perspective on that and what's changed from her view um, as the sport has grown and grown. We also discussed the Giro Donna, which finished um, about last, maybe five weeks ago, and Canyon uh, Shram had some success there, and also uh, some learnings. And I thought what was really interesting was uh, Beth's take on Chloe Dygert and her return to the team, and not only just her return, but her return as a team leader, because we all know now she's back to close to her best, She's one of the best cyclists in the world and a very exciting one at that. So Beth's, uh, I guess, take on her influence on the team and her teammates was very, very fascinating and I know you guys will love it. Now, Beth herself has had a really interesting story about how she became the director sportive at Canyon Shram. And um, yeah, I think you guys will find it really interesting and maybe it might even inspire you guys to try your, ho- try your role or your hand Um, at getting into working in professional cycling um, in a management capacity. But legends, before we get stuck into this episode, big shout out to all our sponsors. Of course, Zwift, the greatest indoor cycling platform ever created. Now, speaking of Zwift, right, Canyon Tram are sponsored by Zwift. Uh, No surprises there. Now, you can unlock their new Tour de France kit, which looks absolutely elite. You have to go check that out if you haven't already. But you can unlock that in the game on Thursday, 27th of July. Um, I think for Australia, it's 6.30 a.m. for Eastern States. And for the Western, uh, a.k.a. Greater State, uh, it's 8.30 a.m. So I might have to do a little work from home that day because I want that kit unlocked. Um, what else? Oh, Attacker. Of course, Attacker. CR Dash, the press room, for 15% off. You legends love Attacker. So do I. Sent out a few socks from our recent Velo Games competition. So shout out, legends, for the socks. And of course, Smith Optics. Now, one more thing. I've just remembered it as I was talking right now. 
Have you seen the What's the Femmes Capianos, the Capolinos, the Caskets? Have you seen them? Of course you have, because the marketing's been absolutely insane. What's the Femmes Caps? I have 10, okay? I, I have 10 of those. And you can get one. You can get one for free. Free postage. I will send you a cap. All you got to do is share this episode on Instagram. Tag me, tag Zwift, tag Canyon Shram, and that's all you need to do. I'll send you a hat. First 10 people to do it win. So, uh, you know, you know what to do. But okay, legends, I'm rambling now. I'm rambling. This is it. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's Beth Daria from Canyon Shram, and I'll see you on the other side. If you recovered after the Giro, uh, yeah, I would say <laughs> recovered after the Giro. Um, it's something like I've done for quite a few years, so I you you know what to expect um, yeah. from it. And as soon as that was over, it was more about uh, just full focus on the the upcoming tour. So mm. not much, it wasn't much time for recovery. Basically, it was just a bit of a quick mind switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With um, like doing like a grand tour, you know, as one of the key staff members or any staff member, what's the fatigue like for for the staff? Like, can you explain how, like, what that fatigue is like for for the staff members of the team? I think, uh, I mean, it's difficult to explain until you experience it yourself. You, you know, you can say, okay, staff are working, let's say, you know, seventeen hour days for days in a row, but that just sounds like, okay, yeah, 17 hours, but it's like 17 hours really quite um, intense. <laughs> 17 or hours a day, I would say. So yeah, for the staff, it's a lot, you know, a, a lot of it is about routine and knowing the routine and knowing whose roles, you know, what each person's roles and responsibilities are and getting things done. And then also about trying to share that, share that workload as well, because there's particular days where maybe, you know, maybe the teams had a lot of crashes and the mechanics are working even later to rebuild bikes or mm. likewise the riders have crashed and the physio uh, staff are, you know, having to go to hospital, et cetera. So mm. there's a lot of um, unforeseen things that happen during, yeah, during a grand tour and then you just need to try to share that workload as well when it's more on one side compared to another. But yeah, it's just, it, there are there are long and busy days to try to be prepared as much as you can so that when it becomes to like the race time and the racing aspect, everything just goes as smoothly as possible. The more the staff are, you know, organized and relaxed about it, the better um, general atmosphere and vibe it is get passed, gets passed on to the riders. And then therefore, usually the, the performance is mm. in that way. So I guess in the in the women's world tour and, and and the pro tour as well, the lower teams, I suppose, uh, a lot of the staff members would probably have to wear many hats. Unlike um, maybe in the men's teams, they sort of have everyone sit in their roles for the most parts. But yeah, I know that uh, many hats are worn. So why don't we start with? Um, I just love to know more about your story uh, and how you, I guess. Um, you know, started your career at Canyon Shram um, as as a staff member um, post post cycling, and uh, I think it's a really interesting story. So, did it start? Um, you know, moons ago, you were working at the AIS. Is that sort of one of the earlier points? Maybe start from yeah, there. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, so I started working actually in the field of cycling, let's say uh, in 2008, I was starting my master's in sports physiotherapy and I did mm. some clinical, finished my clinical hours with um, the head of the physio for cycling at the AIS, her name is Karen Stevens at the time. Um, and yeah, I went to Italy. First race was the, actually first race was the Giradonna and I was there as a soigneur, so, um, which is a role it's not just physiotherapist it's definitely a very combined <laughs> role um, yeah. to, the, to the team yeah um and yeah it was meant to be just for a you know a few weeks really working um there finishing my clinical hours and then I was sort of off to travel the world so to speak and I left that and thought okay this actually type of uh, work you know with elite athletes is really interesting so I said if something comes up then let me know. And then a week later, I got a job offer um, to work yeah, for the AIS in their cycling department. So I did wow. that for a few years. Then I left uh, there to go to left the national team set up to go to work for a professional team, which was called HTC High Road, um, which was a very dominant team in the mm-hmm. um, late 90, uh, sorry, uh, in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and that team only lasted a year before its demise. Uh, and then I worked as a um, soigneur for a team called Specialized Lululemon for a few mm. years. So then um, changed teams again. And th- throughout the, those years, I guess my role was changing a little bit um, from year to year. So doing physiotherapy and soigneur work, but also I did a little bit of logistics, mm. had to step like sport director a few times um and then sort of towards the end of that was doing a little bit more into like the social media which became a thing which was not a thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah like 15 or 20 years ago was not really a yeah was not wasn't even a word was it social media what did that mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my role was changing um and then in the end in 2015 the team manager of Canyon SRAM Racing, which is Ronnie Lauka. He was working as sport director in a team. I was working as the Swanier, uh, doing sort of media marketing for a team. This team um, stopped basically sort of mid-season, had lost um, investment and money. Um, and we were looking for a, yeah, looking for a job for the following year. And Ronnie had contacts uh, with Canyon, who at the time were looking to start a women's team. And then, yeah, it went from there. So basically, yeah, Ronnie uh, Canyon Bicycles and myself um, co-founded the, yeah, the company that then manages Canyon Stram Racing and now manages also Canyon Stram Generation. So mm, wow, was, uh, yeah, 2016 was the first year of the team. You squeeze it all into a very <laughs> nice run through. I'm sure you've, you've had to tell that story a lot. The the, the company above uh, that sort of runs the Canyon Stram, is that the W... MN cycling? Exactly. No, um, the company is called Lauka Pro Rad Sport. So um, when we started the team in 2016, um, we decided to have the, um, yeah, to make our uh, handle at WMN cycling, so women cycling, um, allowing that, you know, that's where we wanted to be like a standalone women's team. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, if in the future, 
co-title um, partners changed or anything like this, then we we could keep something like consistent throughout the whole um, existence of the team. Fortunately for us, we've always, <laughs> until now, uh, we're in our eighth year, we've always um, had Canyon and SRAM as our title partners. So yeah. we could have hindsight probably gone with Canyon at Canyon SRAM uh, <laughs> racing. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is cool that it's sort of maintained its, uh, yeah, I guess, its identity of those two um, sponsors for so long. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, I guess kind of, of quite a few of the women's teams have started to get a bit of longevity with their sponsors, which is nice. Um, and walking it back just a touch, you mentioned HCC uh, High Road. Um, I don't think many people might not know that they were there was a I guess the women's team along with the men's uh, during that period. I remember I remember the photo of the the men's and women's combined um, all together, all the riders and staff. It's quite cool, um, but. What was the link where you were working at the AIS? What was the link to the Giro Donna? How did you, what were you doing at the Giro Donna that first time? So in the 2008, the Australian, um, yeah, the AIS had basically an Australian national program. Mm. And so this program was where uh, Australian riders could come and race for a certain number of weeks mm. uh, in Europe where the Australian AIS had their base in the north of Italy and they would go as a national team to various uh, mm -hmm. women's pro races. So this was, you know, there were riders, for example, like Tiffany Cromwell, who was racing then for an American team. This American team was not racing the Giro Donna, so she would come in and sort of guest ride really with the Australian national team. And oh, there were a number yeah. of Australian riders who had a scholarship um to do this you know this block of racing in europe to gain experience mm, something that's not um that has sort of come and gone i guess through australian cycling depending on the where the focus has been and also the budget mm. um i think now they do it more for under 19 yeah they do it more as a junior um mm. junior sort of development thing where they might come and race you know kermesses in belgium and netherlands for six weeks mm. or as a yeah, something is like a preparation to world championships. Mm, yeah, yeah. They, they think they started the under nineteen setup uh, maybe two years ago now. Um, the women's yeah. at the moment under nineteen is very good. Felicity, uh, Wilsey Hafferton, and Mackenzie Coupland too. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of them. They're very good. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's super cool. When you're um, going through the different teams, you know, you mentioned a few that you, you sort of hop before, uh, hop between, um, before you got to Canyon. What were you noticing? Um, like, what were some of the differences that you noticed on the teams? Like, were, were some teams more organized than others, or were there some teams that were maybe um, leaning on one particular person in that organization a lot? Or was there anything, anything that stood out? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, I guess the state of women's cycling was quite different in 2008 when I first ended compared to where it is now, fortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the racing then was really dominated by a handful of um, riders, I would say, and like one by a handful, a smaller um, amount of riders compared to the vast mm array that have a chance of winning now um mm. which is a yeah is a positive thing for the depth of um of women's cycling i think you know i was working with like ina yoko teutenberg and i think you know the, the team 
that I was working for in 2012, I think we had something like 50 or 55 wins for the season. Like it's something really unheard of, even in the dominance now of some teams, wow. they're not reaching that number. And for us then it was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> wow. normal. Um, yeah, so I think the the probably the depth of the the you know the different names for the winners has changed over the years, um, and yeah, a different focus like the this women's side of um, cycling is now more visible than what it was back then. You know, mm. it's finally becoming uh, something that you know women uh, more women can do as like their profession and a career. So it's a viable career and not just something they're sort of doing really as a hobby or needing to work part-time to try to sustain that um yeah that dream still has a little way to go to make sure um that there are more teams you know that have that level of professionalism and more women can say it's 100 percent um it can commit to it as a as a career but for sure like obviously all of the women in the world tour teams and a lot of the stronger um pro conti teams you know have, have changed that over the years Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. Uh, I think I've talked to Jess Allen about this before. On she's kind of in a similar, maybe boat to yourself, where you've kind of seen both sides um, of the sport. You know, you've kind of I guess witnessing how it's sort of starting to grow a lot more. Um, when you know back when Jess first started, this would have been yeah racing for peanuts and a lot less organised. Uh, it's certainly cool to see it grow so much and. Um, you know, one thing that I really liked uh, has been the the coverage of women's cycling is so much better. Like I can remember tuning into what it was like Amstel Gold or Liège Bastion on the A's when they just had the fixed, um, yeah, the fixed camera at the finish line, and you were just waiting for for Vandenbergen to come across the line or. Like that was all you got. I think it was Amstel always just had the fixed camera. Um, and then maybe one year, like you had 20 Ks to go with Liège and, um, you know, the rise of GCN being able to watch these races. I think that's done a massive um, thing for, for fans and the audience to like, they can see the riders, they can pick their favorites. Um, and, you know, like you said, there's more and more women now, challenging for the wins on certain stages whereas you know it was a handful of riders who would just win everything um but now you get to see like there's sprinters you know there's more as a pool of sprinters competing then there's the the punchers and the the, the climbers it's like yeah you can really like and especially young women who could probably pick oh i'm kind of like that that uh that rider i could be like them um i think it's really yeah really big for the sport the, the increase in coverage too hey yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I think the first year that I went to the Giradonna after 10 days, the winner took home 325 euro, maybe it was 365, three, less, less than 400 euro as the winner <laughs> of, like, of then the biggest, um, yeah, the biggest stage race for women on the calendar and the one that's been around still now for the longest time. Mm. So things, yeah, I think fortunately things have changed and I agree like the visibility and you know, people having access to see the broadcast of the races, you know, to see the riders and to see the different characters and the different teams and, you know, to be able to dream to have that as a career is something, yeah, it's something really um, important for the future of the sport as well and to allow people to see that, you know, I can 
have this as a career and I can dream to, you know, be a climber or be a sprinter or whatever it is. I think also now there's a lot more riders who are a little bit more specialized in particular areas, whereas yeah. before, you know, riders it was dominant, dominant, um, or particular riders dominated because they were just you were obviously really talented and it didn't matter if it was a flat race or a um, oh, yeah. a mountainous race, basically they were just that talented that you yeah. know that's what it is. Whereas now, you know, I think probably someone like Mariana Voss is the um one of only a handful of riders who really can do a little bit of everything. Um and it's more and more that riders, you know, that they have to really specialize and say, okay, yeah, I'm this type of rider and this is my role. Um and then, you know, try to strengthen that. Yeah, definitely. And you get the cool battles, you know, like I'm really excited for for cool and Webus. I can't wait to see that battle in <laughs> a couple of weeks. We had um I talked to uh, Charlotte oh, a few months ago and I was, um, yeah, we were talking about that that battle between that rivalry, you know, that's like the first maybe the big sprinter rivalry we've got on the women's side now, which is something we've got to see in the men's quite a lot. Um, so that's going to be a really cool uh, thing for people to tune into on those sprint stages for sure. Well, yeah. Um, uh, let's touch on the Giro. Giro Donna's just finished. Um and uh, I mean, it looked like for a while there that wasn't even going to happen, but glad that it did. And um, yeah, it was some really cool racing. And I wondered, uh, it was a bit of a um, mixed bag for Canyon Shram, but had some good success um, with a number of riders. But now that you've had a couple of, you know, a week or so to review, um, what were some of the, I guess, the highlights for you uh, in, in in your role and, and how do you think it went after a week of review? Yeah, I think overall in the in the Giro Donna this year, we experienced everything like everything that the sport can offer from the highs of, you know, winning a stage with um, young Antonio Niedermeyer yep. um, and, you know, having Chloe on the podium twice to then also, you know, both riders are <laughs> suffering some some crashes and trips to hospital um, and then Antonia forced to abandon the race. So I think, you know, it's part of um, what makes cycling, I guess, an attractive sport of having these such highs and lows, um, mm. you know, that can happen in such a short space of time. Um, from the team overall, I think, you know, our sport director, Maggie Back said he was really pleased with how the team raced. Um, you know, we we're always up there, always in contention to go for the win mm. um, and had really tried to um, continue the theme of the team right from the start of the year is to try and to race aggressively and look for opportunities and try to, yeah, to try to create opportunities where the team can win from. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall I think we we can be really pleased we were always you know either close to the podium or on the podium and then obviously having the stage win was the highlight for sure mm, yeah the statement from Antonia I mean super young she's what she 20 21 yeah 20 yeah <laughs> so Antonia comes from like schemo ski mountaineering background um that's her was her first sport and cycling just came about really during COVID as an alternative to training and she was not able to do quite as much um skiing because of some knee injuries so then she took up cycling which her family her father had already been involved in mm. um and you know did the time trial which she found out she was actually quite talented um <laughs> and that sort of yeah went from there she spent a a year in our development team canyon stram generation 
where she just raced really for three months because she was finishing high school. Um, and there she, yeah, she came second in like a um, Spanish Nation, Nations Cup race and then won the Tour of Ardèche, which is like seven days of mm -hmm. um, racing in France in the Ardèche region, which is really quite hilly. So, yeah, she's obviously, we knew that she was a, a really talented um, rider who already had, you know, excelled in endurance sport, you know, basically going vertical. <laughs> Up uh, mountains, she was the um, under 19 world champion in the vertical race for ski mountaineering. And I think um, another, yeah, vertical race, basically we're starting the bottom and then going straight up to the top. My knowledge of ski mountaineering is really limited. I needed to get a crash course from Antoni when she joined the team. Um, but yeah, like this, you know, at altitude sort of suffering and in endurance um, is something that we already know that she's talented in. And yeah, this stage win that she did at the Giro, um, you know, to be in that group um, or to come back to that the elite climbing group um, and then basically just, you know, with 24 kilometres to go, just seize the opportunity and just go, she had nothing to lose at that point and just mm. chose a good moment to attack. Um, and then basically, you know, in the last 10 kilometres could hold off on the descent and the final climb could hold off the world champion. So I think that's, yeah, it definitely put her on the map um globally that we already knew what she was capable of um but yeah she definitely showed it and yeah to get a stage win was really yeah I mean of course incredible for for her and for the team it's the the best you know that we could uh yeah we could hope for for her from the Giro yeah definitely uh yeah that win will do wonders for her uh and yeah Antonia Nadermeyer that's how you said Nadermeyer isn't it I think uh Niedermeyer. Okay, there you go. Well, everyone, she's only 20 she years old. Yeah. She's only 20 years old. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. She's going to be an absolute weapon. So super cool. Um, I, I don't know much about ski mountaineering either, but I do know that it often is where the some of the highest tested VO2 max um, results are found when they're doing testing uh, for, for sports science research. So, um, she's obviously got quite an engine, which is super cool. Um, it's a tough sport. Schema is you're using everything, using like every muscle in your body basically at once. <laughs> yeah, I think like some of the winter sports, um, yeah, they're they're very impressive. Yeah, python, um, all those crazy <laughs> ones. Yeah, so we need to be digging in there for some talent ID. Um, there's another young rider I want to speak about later but um that that Stephen told me about but uh just on the jury one more um question is uh you've been to so many races now and you obviously know what's um you know really uh you know well run race and maybe what others can improve on we see it in everything now men's women's junior races now there's always really top standard events and i wondered what um, from your experience, makes a, a, a well-organized um, women's world tour race? What are some of the things that you see that um, kind of set the bar high? Yeah, I think from, yeah, in terms of well-organized women's world tour races, I think the the women's tour, which was the British tour that came mm. maybe just around 2015, might have been the first year. I think this really raised the race the standard and set the gold standard for race organizers I would say because it came in as a standalone women's event it was not associated with a men's tour or men's one-day race um, and basically 
it set standards um, that a lot of other race organizers needed to really you know lift their level to to reach and for for example one of the key things for us is just the level of communication to the teams from the race organizers like you know obviously the dates and the calendar is set by the UCI but you know what is what is the parkours like when do they send out the file and that information because that's dependent on what roster you would send to the race mm -hmm. communication about you know the hotel and the logistics for example um and even you know the level of um yeah the, the level of detail that goes into the technical guide which teams receive like these sorts of things might sound you know, really basic and they're the things that happen really behind the scenes, but it allows the teams to really plan and prepare and like send the the best possible team to a particular races. So this is something that they did really well and the media coverage um, and the community involvement at the start and finish towns and basically where the course passed, these mm -hmm. sorts of things really set the standard, I would say. Um, also in terms of, yeah, they did well in prize money. One thing that they did lack, um, which, you know, has, as we touched on earlier, has already grown in women's cycling is like the live broadcast. Mm. Um, and so I think now, you know, a lot of the races, they are well organized in terms of the information they provide to the team and um, details on the course and, and what to expect, et cetera. Um, mm. And a lot of them now really do focus on having some live coverage, which live coverage is something that basically provides um, like a return on investment to all of the partners of all of the teams that you know, that's all of the partners that sponsor a women's team and every woman's team, regardless if they finish first or last, basically they have a chance to get some sort of coverage from the race. Whereas improving prize money, you know, um, it's a topic of this course. That's where we want to be, where it's equal between the men and the women's. Yeah. Um, races but you know that only goes to a certain number of riders actually or a certain number of teams that win that prize money whereas if you're giving coverage that goes to basically the the entire yeah the entire peloton and that has a, a much bigger um, impact for their future I believe mm. so excellent point yeah that's really good um, it's interesting to hear that the organization of the women's tour back then was um, ahead of its time because I I really only remember it for its um, its stance on the prize money where it was, it was um, yeah, really good in um, giving equal prize money or really a substantial amount more than way more than uh, any other races. I remember the figures, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. The coverage helps all the teams, all, all the teams and sponsors, whether you're first or last. So um, yeah, good argument. That's yeah. Really interesting. Um, when, when you're talking about the, the, the technical guides, the routes, um, you know, and all that sort of stuff that you need to plan your team and also plan, um, yeah, the, the, the hotels and then obviously the transport movements. I mean, you know, the list goes on forever. Um, how early is like, what's a good time? Is it, is it a month out? Would you like to be receiving that two months, three months out Four. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends, uh, I guess how, how much importance the team places on a particular race obviously we're coming up to the tour de france farm of x swift and this is like for our team is the um, the number one race for the year so the sooner that we know this then everything else is planned around that in terms of what riders are potentially going to the tour and you know what their preparation is and what races they do as preparation or training camps etc into that so the sooner 
we know this then the better of course they already announced um the route i think in october the year before so for this one everyone has a good idea though they yeah. don't necessarily have all of the details you have an idea of what the um, and a good idea of what the course will be I think something, um, yeah, I mean, it just depends how, how big the race is. Obviously, if you're knowing two or three months in advance, and obviously this is really good. Hmm. Okay, excellent. Um, great. Well, let's chat a little bit about the Tour de France fans coming up. Um, I should have worn my hat. I got sent the hat from Zuf. Shout out, Zuf. <laughs> I love the hat. Editions one and two now. I've actually got the stickers, the Watch the Femmes stickers all over my laptop. I can't show you because they're <laughs> on the laptop, obviously. But um, actually, just before the tour, I just want to say it's very exciting to see Chloe Dye get back, um, like just competing really at the front where she belongs. I mean, she's one of the riders that excites me the most. Um, much before her, uh, her her injury in the in the um, Worlds or Olympics. Um, but I remember there was she was racing a US race, um, you know, one of those sort of four or five stage races. And I think she won every every stage <laughs> at the GC. And I, I remember seeing the first couple and I seen like Diget, Diget. I was like, oh wow, this, you know, she must be really good. And then she won everything. And I was like, oh, this girl must be <laughs> one of the best. And then we'd see her time trial performances uh against, you know, Van der Breggen and Vlan Vluten um mm-hmm. in their in their peak and Obviously, uh, yeah, showed she really had something. So to see her back at the front competing in sprints and the hard stages, I'm so excited to see her at the Olympics this year. Um, interesting to see what she does. I mean, she's going to do time trial, the track, TP, there's so much stuff she could do. But it must be really cool from Kenny Tran's perspective to have her back, um, you know, just at the front and healthy again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, um, it took really two years to be able to see Chloe actually join the team, really join the team. Mm. Um, she were, you know, she had a lot of bad luck. Um, I guess with a history of of injuries and illnesses throughout her career, um, which is something in itself, like the resilience that she has to come back each time, and the drive to to get back is something I think that's quite admirable. Um, but she, yeah, eventually that she has joined the team and is racing consistently with the team since the level, uh, level alter in May. Mm-hmm. So it's really only been actually not, not even three months <laughs> that I would say that she's had, you know, racing with the team. And in that she's already, she won a stage at Ride London. She's second, a Giro second, a third at the Giro stage. And also, you know, had a couple of podiums at level alter, like in first race back, not really being at hundred percent fitness. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, it, it's proven, I guess, the level of talent that everyone knows that she has from winning um, the ITT in Yorkshire by, I think, the greatest winning margin in history for the ITT. Um, and then obviously having that severe crash in Imola. Um, yeah, it's just really pleasing to see her, yeah, to, to see her back racing and, and at the top level, which we know she can be. But I think for um, the team perspective, perspective like obviously having her you know join the team and she has a particular like desire and desire to win that really raises the level of everyone around her um and just you know her her character when she's within the team you know it's it is about winning but it's also about 
bringing her teammates there and really taking yeah really taking a leadership role I would say with her teammates whether they're young or experienced as well about you know, trying to be better and discussing things that they can do together to be better and um, it's not about definitely not all about her it's about you know whether she's winning or someone from the team is winning it's the same really for her so um, yeah it's a really um, strong and impressive writer and character to have to within the team because it just raises a level um, of professionalism and the drive to win and to achieve success together from everyone because as soon as you have a writer who who can do that then you know or who can help a teammate achieve um, a result then all of a sudden you know the entire team gets confidence from that you know from writers and staff and really believe that you know in the the plan that the sport directors have and then you know if people are really going even deeper to try to achieve that usually it gives you more success and then it's just like a snowball effect really absolutely a positive feedback loop within the team yeah. um yes so everyone listening when we're at world champs glad's girl track and the tt road especially on the track you want to be watching chloe everyone remember in uh the tp Everyone thinks about uh, one of the most exciting things in the team's pursuit is is Ghana for the Italians doing the the big double full lap turn at the end to bring home the team. That is what Chloe does for the US team, and it's absolutely awesome. I'm so excited to see that uh, her, her um, and the rest of the US team as well. But I'm very excited to, to watch that physical feat because it is very impressive, um, and it makes me actually remember. It makes me think of one other thing that I like about Kenya Shran. And it's one of my favorite photos in cycling. And it's the, um, from the back when the team's time trial was in the mm. worlds. And I think it was the team's time trial when you had the different colored disc wheels. Do yeah. you remember? Cause yes, you, you would race in your trade team. So there'd be the Canyon SRAM for the world champs team time trial. You've got to find the photo, just type in Canyon SRAM team's time trial, colored disc wheels. And you had the different colored zip disc wheels they just looked it was the sickest photo with the mountains in the background oh yeah. i think yeah, yeah that's a real, highlight of that, a real highlight of the team um because it was it was actually the last year that they did the trade team team time trial at world championships it came it used to be in like 100k events many years ago and then it came back in 2012 mm. um and our team that um the team manager Ronnie Lark and I were working with we won I think four five four years in a row at least yeah um and a couple of years not winning and then coming back in 2018 and winning and yeah not long actually before that we were approached by zip um, who a long-term partner, long-time partner of the team, and it was their 30th anniversary, and they were doing these like retro um, Super Nine disc wheels. In they had four different colors that they had had 30 years ago, um, and you know came up with this idea like, why don't we put you know a different color on each rider, and then we got the overshoes to match, and yeah, yeah. and <laughs> to have this, and then you know to have this like attention to the team and then to like pull off the win it's like yeah it's yeah I, I oh. guess one of the yeah the win itself was like a highlight for the team in its history yeah um, but obviously having this like iconic image of the different disc wheels it's yeah it's very special mm, I'm just looking it up now oh it's an yeah, they just look that was a really cool kit too that's a really cool kit the old Rafa yeah. kit um so sick. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to drill over that photo. It just looks so good. 
Um, okay, so Tour de France teams, one of the earliest teams to put out your teams list, which is really cool and very handy. Maybe a good thing we missed our first appointment. Um, but it's interesting seeing the teams that have put them up. Um, really cool team. Nice mixed team. A few debutantes as well. Um, Neil Doma last year. Love Neil Doma. Great cyclist. Super talented. She was she was third. That's right. She was third. Yeah, just behind um, uh, Anamek and, and Demi. Do you think... Uh, well, how do you think she's going this year? Do you think uh, the podium is that like a name for her again? Or do you think she and the team are more going to be like, we'd rather have try and get some stage wins. Like, I guess there's always that feeling of, um, you know, what's a stage or stages worth versus the, versus the podium, you know, that's always one of those things I think about, but yeah. What do you think about Cassia? Yeah. I mean, I think um, Cassia, she definitely has a big, um, yeah, a big ambition to try to defend a spot on the GC, uh, spot on the GC podium, the final GC podium. Mm. Um, I think the race overall this year is a little bit different to what it was in 2022, whereas it had a real focus on a couple of very mountainous, like long mountain climbs last year, whereas this year, the longest mountain and it, it, it it's definitely a good one is the um, Coldy Tourmalade. Yeah. Um, so it probably, yeah, rolls everything into just one big climb. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the other stages are really, yeah, they're a little bit more like classic style, I would say, um, and nice. which actually suits, suits Kashia and suits our team. So um, it gives us a lot of, yeah, a lot of opportunities to try to to get success. I mean, over overall, the t- any t- every team wants to try to win a stage, um, regardless, even if you're going for GC, because if you're winning a stage, then obviously that's your, <laughs> yes. that by by default helps your GC chances. So, sure. yeah, for us, we're it's a combination of that really, and just trying to you know, achieve the best that we can on on the day whether it's a stage win or you know going for gc as a default as well so Hmm. combination of really i would say both would be great actually yeah yeah i i I said i've been saying the name wrong so it's cashier is that right cashier uh yeah if you if you say her if you ask her then she would say um i would i would try to get it right now she would say kasia nivadoma Mm. So it's not like a sh- because the yes, Katarzyna Gina is uh, in Polish, but e- even when I'm saying it, it's probably not really bad. Oh, but she's okay. fine. People say Cassia or Cassia. She's she's okay with it, really. <laughs> thinking back to World Champs in Wollongong, where I was in the mix zone, and I would have just been this classic Aussie. Hey, Cassia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. That's- she also, yeah. I'm still learning the names. I'm trying my best. I'm a big fan, but <laughs> the names sometimes, yeah, I get it wrong. Um, and this is another name I could get wrong, but Stephen Gallagher, who's also um, resides in Perth, Legends, Wester's Bear, but he told me that young Micah van der Duen, is it Micah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told me that she, young uh, Dutch cyclist, she's in the team and maybe debuting in the Tour de France this year. She, he told me that she is a very exciting prospect. Yeah, Micah, um, she's our best chance for any of the sprint stages for sure. Um, she actually raced last year for a different team and she was leading the best young rider classification for I think three or four stages at the start. So from the Champs-Élysées 
mm. um, through at least a stage three um, until the yeah until the race really hit the mountains. So mm. she's still eligible for best young rider this year. Um, yeah, and so we're yeah we're excited to have Micah on the team. She's really feisty <laughs> sprinter um, type <laughs> in the race. You gotta be right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah, they're really they they definitely have no fear, which is really impressive. Um, and she just came from, uh, when she's actually just finished yesterday racing the European Track Championships, the under twenty three Track Championships, and she, uh, won the elimination race. So she's now European champion in that elimination oh, race, and she took a medal also in the scratch and the omnium. So nice. she's a very talented track rider as well. Oh. I love when a sprinter has a bit of track experience. That is beautiful. That's beautiful. And yeah. and Michael will be, yes, we'll be going to world championships for the track as well in Glasgow. Um, I think in the Omnium particularly. And then, yeah, she obviously has Tokyo ambitions on the track as well as on the road. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. I'm just looking now. I mean, um, I can't really, really missed it now, but third at Game Vervelgum and a 13th at um, Flanders. Well, she's definitely even more than a sprinter too. She's got a big engine then looking at those results. That's so exciting. And she's only 21. Wow. There's so many. Yeah. We have a really quite young young group um, yeah. of riders that we're trying to develop. Uh, and then also like Ricardo Bauenfeind also is quite uh, young, mm-hmm. 23. Yeah, used to. And then you've got, yeah, you've got Elise Shabby there. We love Elise, legend. Um, yeah, good-looking team. That's so exciting. Okay, so I don't want to go too long because I talk all day. <laughs> I'll talk all day. Everyone knows that. Um, but let me just go back. The run sheet's been thrown out the door because I just, once we get talking, that's it's gone. But <laughs> here we go. I'll go to the questions at the bottom. If you could, okay, two questions. One, if you could transfer one rider into your team, and who would it be? And the second question is who in your mind, and you get to see a nice view of all the teams and riders, and I'm sure riders that other people haven't heard of yet, but who's um, one rider who's really exciting and maybe excites you the most on the Women's World Tour right now? So one transfer, so, one excitement. Yeah, the transfer rider, that would be easier. We would take Marianne Voss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, goat. Because, as we said before, she's an all-round rider, and you know she had just has such a, um, yeah, she's such an amazing, amazing rider. I'm really impressed, and I was, I have to say personally, I was really pleased um, when it was not, uh, unfortunately, not us going into the yellow on stage two, but that it was her. I thought she's a well-deserved winner. Um, yeah, going that was great last year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and she's a rider that, you know, no matter how many races she wins, it's like, it's like it's her first victory. It's like a world tour first victory when you see her, she's just so excited and, you know, um, you know, it's that thrill of adrenaline when she wins is really mm. impressive, even though she's won over 400 races, I think, in her career. So, like her, um, and boss. <laughs> it reminds me of her, uh, her, well, her eighth was, I think it was her eighth cyclocross world title, the last one. Her celebration when she won that title was like crazy. And it was, yeah, it was something, I think it was like seven or eight years before her last world title on, on the CX. And the way she celebrated was like, I mean, you look at her wins, track, road, mountain bike, CX, you can actually look at it on Wikipedia. It looks, it's ridiculous. There's not enough space on the actual webpage for it all. Um, 
but yeah, she's crazy. Yeah, yeah, she's very impressive. I would say very impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, an up and coming rider. I guess that's probably harder. Um, yeah, hard. harder to choose. say. For, can I say Antonia Niederweimer because she's yes, she in <laughs> Yes, she can. I mean, and um, I definitely have yeah a lot of uh, clout with that response because obviously just she just won a, a stage of the jury in her world tour debut at twenty years old. So yeah, I can easily say Antonia. Sweet. Uh, well, Beth, thank you so much for your time. It was so cool to talk to you. Beth is just such a big part of Canyon Shram, and um, I think you've done a really good job with the team and, of course, all the staff uh, there as well. I think it's a, it's such an easy team for um, for anyone who likes cycling, but young women in particular. You know, there's 13, 14-year-olds out there riding their bikes. They see these um, amazing women out there doing great things on the big stage. And, um, yeah, I think the team's presented so well. So um, definitely inspiring uh, heaps more young cyclists to take it up. Yeah, glad glad to have joined the podcast and, yeah, happy for the happy for the feedback. That's the, the idea is we're trying to, yeah, build something where there can be um, young women and children across the world try to look up to it, look up to the team or look up to the riders on the team and see that, you know, that's a dream that they want to pursue and they can pursue. 100%. Yeah, awesome. Well, Beth, thank you so much. Good luck at Tour de France. And this episode will go out during the tour. So, um, yeah, I hope everyone really enjoys it. So, yeah, take care and um, speak again soon. Great. Thanks, Jethro. All right, Legends, that's another episode of the Press Room Podcast done and dusted. Big shout-out to Zwift, big shout-out to Attacker, Smith Optics, and, of course, Beth Daria and Canyon Shram. They are the team I'll be supporting at this year's Tour de France Femmes. And uh, don't forget, Legends, you can get yourself a Watch the Femmes Zwift hat, Capolino. Make sure you share this episode on Instagram. Tag me, Zwift, and Canyon Shram, and I'll send one hat to you. Uh, first 10 people win but you guys are champions and I'll see you on the next episode